Good morning. I am Rhoda Miller. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Luke 9, 51 through 62. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of Samaritans to make preparations for him. The people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. As they were going along a road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Fox have holes, birds of the air have nests, and the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. Let me say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we just come to you now. We just thank you, Lord, for this time. We just pray that you will just watch over and bless this time, Jesus. We just pray that you will give us the ears to hear and the hearts and minds to receive. We just thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross and forgiving us of all of our sins. In your name, amen. Good morning. We're entering into a new stage in the book of Luke, starting in chapter 9, verse number 9, chapter 9 through chapter 19, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to do what he came to do. And as I was preparing for this passage this past week, I, I was listening to some music in my wireless Bluetooth headphones. Come on, how many of you wake up thanking God for Bluetooth every day, Right. And, uh, and so I'm listening in my study and I get up from my chair and, and I set my phone down uh, on the desk and I walk out of the room and I begin to walk into another part of the house and the music stops and I hear this voice and it's Siri in my ears. You are disconnected out of range. I thought, yeah, okay, I've heard that before. And I just keep wandering around. I'm, I don't remember what I'm getting or doing, but I keep I'm keeping, uh, Siri keeps reminding me, you are disconnected, out of range, out of range, out of range. And I'm getting annoyed by this after a while. I'm like, would you just, you know, stop it? And, uh, and, and I had an option right then. I had a choice. I could, I could turn my Bluetooth headphones off and I could hear Siri say, goodbye, right? Goodbye. Right? And then we're done with it. Or I could decide, you know what, I'm going to go back to my phone. All right, And so I start heading back to my study where my phone is. And as I approach, of course, I hear the lovely voice of Siri in my ears saying, you are connected, battery full. You are connected, battery full. And uh, 
And so what do we learn from that? I was just, I mean, I think God was just using that to speak to my heart that day. And I'm thinking, okay, as I move away from my phone, right? As I, as I abandon my phone, I hear the voice of Siri saying, you are disconnected. You are out of range. But as I return to my phone where the original signal is, I hear Siri saying, you are connected, battery full. And I want to say that this passage is a lot like the Bluetooth on my cell phone. Um, It sends out a signal. Okay, this passage sends out a signal and the signal it sends out is this. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is what it looks like to follow. That's what this passage in Luke chapter 9 is telling us. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus. And when we abandon this passage and we walk away from it and we ignore this passage, we're going to hear not Siri, but we're going to hear the spirit of the living God say, you are disconnected out of range. But when we return to this passage of what it looks like to follow Jesus and we believe it and we begin to live it, we're going to hear the spirit of God say, you are connected, battery full. I don't know about you this morning, but I want to be connected. I want to be battery full. I want to be that kind of follower of Jesus. So the question that I want to ask you right up front here is, is not what am I saying, but what is the Spirit of God saying to you about your following of Jesus? Would the Spirit of God say to you this morning, you are connected, battery full? Or would you hear the Spirit of God say, you're disconnected, you're out of range? And if that's what Spirit is saying, is you're disconnected, you're out of range, how do we get back in range? We have to come back to the original signal. We have to come back to the original source. We have to see, we have to ask the question, what does it look like to follow Jesus? And even a greater question we all have to ask today is, will we follow him? Will we follow him? I've got to be honest with you. This passage today would probably not make the top 10 list of most quoted passages of the Bible. Right? It is not one of our favorites. We're not going to quote it in times of trouble. How many of you are with me this morning? Right? It's not our favorite Jeremiah 29. Right? For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope in the future. We love that verse. I love that verse. Right? This passage is not going to make the top ten this morning. It's not near as exciting as some of the other passages that we've looked at. Um, There's no great miracles taking place. There's no feeding of the 5,000. There's no healing going on. There's no just glorious transfiguration going on. No, this is very different. But this passage is here. And it's here for a reason, a very important reason. It's here because it, it answers the question, what does it look like to follow Jesus? I mean, you know, that's an important question. What does it look like to follow Jesus? It's not it's not answering the question. What does it look like for Jesus to follow you? I think in in our, our world today and in Christianity and in the church world today and even in my life today. Oftentimes. Oftentimes we we are a people who expect and even demand Jesus to follow us. Right. And might I add wherever the hell we're going. Right. 
We expect Jesus to get behind us, to serve us, to follow us, to bless us, right? Bless me, Lord. Keep me, Lord. In essence, we're saying, follow me, Lord. And I want to just pose the the powerful question this morning. Who's following who? Who's following who? I'm going to pray this prayer. I'm going to fill out this card. Right. I'm going to confess my sin. And now Jesus is going to follow me the rest of my life. And wherever I go, he's going to go because the Bible says he's never going to leave me or forsake me. And I think we've gotten this thing turned around. We've forgotten that Jesus was the one who initially put out the request. Follow me. And we, we don't have the right. We're not in a position to say, hey, Jesus, I'm going here. Come with me. No, that's that's not Lord. Jesus said he's he's Lord of this new kingdom, this new thing he's establishing on the earth. And he invites us to follow, follow him. Who's following who? That's the title of the message today. And the important question that we have to answer is, what does it look like to follow? And will you follow Jesus? And in this passage today, it it appears to me that there's like four powerful questions that are asked. And the first question is this. Will you follow Jesus into his suffering? Will you follow Jesus into his suffering? Verse number 51 says this. The time grew near. The time drew near. And Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. The time drew near. What time was it? It was time for Jesus to begin his six-month journey to Jerusalem to do what he came to do. And that was to die on the cross. So Jesus sends out his 12 disciples. He sends out his disciples ahead of him. And he says, I want you to go ahead, find a place for us to stay the night, see if there's any rooms open at Motel 6. And, and so he sends the disciples ahead of him. They go into Samaria. They go into a village in Samaria looking for a place for them to stay. And uh, we know this is a bit unusual because the Jews and the Samaritans are their enemies. They hate each other, right? The Jews believed the Samaritans were half-breeds. And in essence, they were. They had, during the exile, they had mixed with pagan nations. They had children with pagan nations. They intermarried. And now they're this, they're this mixed race. They're not pure Jew anymore. And the Jews hated the Samaritans for it. And the Samaritans hated the Jews for hating them. Sound familiar? <laughs> Prejudice has been around for a long, long time. <laughs> and even the Jews and the Palestinians don't get along today, right? So this has been going on for a long time. And uh, Josephus, the, uh, the local historian back in that day, he even recorded that if a Jew passed through Samaria, there were times the Samaritans would actually kill that Jew. But did that keep Jesus from going into Samaria? No. He'd been there before. He visited, you know, at Jacob's well with the Samaritan woman at the well. Remember that story? You read about that in John's gospel. I think it's chapter four. Right. Jesus is not afraid to go into the presence of his enemies. He's been there before. He's going there again. Why? Because he wants he wants his disciples to know that this kingdom, right, is for all people. That this kingdom, this good news is for the outsider. It's for the the enemy. It's for the person that wants to kill you. 
Okay, and so they're going through Samaria. And of course, what happens is they're rejected. And James and John, how do they how do they respond to this rejection, to this prejudice, to this persecution? How do they respond? A lot like we would respond, right? Okay, God. This is unfair, right? God, you need to judge them. We need to do something about this, right? And so they want to call down fire from heaven because that's what Elijah did, right? Come on, if Elijah did it, we just saw Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. What would Elijah do, right? W.W. Each. Yeah, okay. What would he do? Well, he'd call down fire from heaven, right? So let's do that. Come on, let's do that. Right? I can just imagine a conversation between James and John. John says, all right, guys, it's going to be a hard lesson for him, but we'll only have to do it once. And after this, they'll, they'll know who we are. And they'll never forget. And then we can stay anywhere we want in Samaria, right? You know, maybe had that kind of conversation. And Jesus comes in and he, he knows what's going on. And the Bible says he rebukes them. He rebukes them. He leans into them. He rebukes them. This is not how my kingdom comes. My kingdom comes through suffering. Will you follow Jesus in his suffering? Martin Luther King Jr. did, and he understood that the kingdom comes through suffering. I want you to see these words as I read these words of Martin Luther King Jr. He said this about suffering. He said, we shall match your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. But be ye assured that we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer. One day we shall win freedom, but not only for ourselves, we shall so appeal to your heart and conscience that we will win you in the process and our victory will be a double victory. Martin Luther King Jr. understood what it meant to follow Jesus in his suffering. And he said, if we can suffer like Christ, we can win the lost and it will be a double win. How do we handle prejudice? How do we handle rejection? Do we get angry? Yes, we should get angry. Is it unfair? Prejudice, reject. Yes, it's unfair. Do we turn away? No. We gather around a group, a posse of people who agree with us and who will be moral support and who will, who will start some, side of, some sort of cause or build some sort of a platform. That's what we do, right? But what did Jesus do in this situation? The Bible says they left and they went to another village. They endured the suffering. They endured the rejection. They didn't start a, a, a prayer gossip group. Pray for me. So-and-so was so unfair to me. Pray for me. Right? How do you handle rejections? We, we, we need to understand that not all want to reconcile, right? Not all want to make peace with us, right? But Jesus leads them and they move on and they went to another village. What do we do when we are rejected by people who are not of our kind? This is what took place in this passage. Jesus said, my kingdom will come through suffering. Not many of you woke up this morning praying and saying, God, show me how to suffer for your name today. Right. We don't do that. We, we want to squelch suffering and we start with a cup of coffee, cu- cup of coffee or two or three. 
right? And all my drinkers, coffee drinkers said amen. I should, should clarify what kind of drinkers I'm talking about. Um, will you follow Jesus into suffering? What is the Spirit of God saying to you today? Are you hearing the Spirit of God say, you are connected, battery full? Or are you hearing the Spirit of God say, you are disconnected, out of range? We've got to get back to what it looks like to follow Jesus. My question is this, if you're writing notes, good, good question to ask is, in what small way can I follow Jesus in his suffering? In what small way can I follow Jesus in his suffering? And it could be that you're facing rejection, something that's happened to you that is very unfair. It should not have happened. What are you going to do? Are you going to call down fire from heaven? God, smite my enemies, right? You know, what's interesting about that is, is here you have the disciples who want to call down this fire of judgment. But then if we go to Acts chapter 19, they call down a different fire upon the Samaritans. And it's the fire of the Holy Spirit. What if we started praying for our enemies instead of, you know, wipe them out with fire, bless them with the fire of the Holy Spirit, fill them with you, God. The second powerful question in this passage is this. Will you follow Jesus into his death? Will you follow Jesus into his death? A religious scribe comes to Jesus, according to Matthew's account, and he asks the question. Well, it's more of a statement. He says, Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. I will follow you wherever you go. Oh, really? I wonder if Jesus is thinking, do you know where I'm going? I'm on my way to Jerusalem, to the cross. Would you like to come with me, right? Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but I don't even have a place to lay my head. In other words, foxes, they have, they have, uh, this world is, is their natural habitat. Uh, it's their, it's their place to live and dwell. There's a place for them here. The birds make nests. This is their natural habitat, but I am not of this world. I don't build nests and settle down here, right? My kingdom is not of this world. I am not of this world. I can't get comfortable here. I don't even have a place to rest. I don't, I can't rest in this world. I'm not at rest here. Some of us are, are struggling so hard to, to, to build the nest, to find the rest, to get comfortable, to settle down. And Jesus is saying, not in my kingdom. If you're going to follow me, You've got to be willing to suffer and you've got to be willing to die and say, you know what? If I never settle down, I never settle down. If I never achieve the American dream, I never achieve the American dream. Abraham was the richest man of his time and yet he he dwelled in tents, the scripture says. He was loaded over with gold and silver and yet he never settled down. He was looking for a city whose maker and founder is God. Do we walk through life with that kind of attitude, willing to suffer, willing to die, not willing to settle down and build that perfect nest? Will you follow Jesus into his dying or into his death? You know, it's it's uh, never been an unusual thing to literally die for Jesus. Um, History proves this out. Uh, People have been dying for Jesus uh, for, for many, many years. It started with John the baptizer and then Stephen, the first deacon of the church. Um, that was a heads up to all the deacons. Um, 
then James was beheaded and then there's Paul and then on and on it goes in the Roman Colosseums, in the Arabian desert, in the Equatorian jungles, in the communist prisons, in the islands of the Pacific. For 2000 years, men and women, young and old, have shed their blood for Jesus. John Piper, he tells the story of John Patton in the mid 1800s, a, a ship took two missionaries to the New Hebrides. It's uh, the present day uh, Vanuatu. And these missionaries, they went ashore. And while the crew of the boat watched, these two missionaries, they were captured by cannibals and they were eaten right in front of these other sailors. Twelve years later in England, John Patton, he feels a call from God to take the gospel to guess where? The New Hebrides, Hebrides, excuse me. And an elderly gentleman in the church, uh, they believed his name to be uh, Mr. Dixon. Mr. Dixon rebuked him and said, you can't go to the New Hebrides. You'll be eaten by cannibals. And Patton replied, Mr. Dixon, your own body is soon to be laid in the grave there to be eaten by worms. What does it matter then if you are eaten by worms and I by cannibals? For in the day of resurrection, mine will be much more glorious than yours. Think about it. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're going to die. It's true. We're all going to die. All Christians die. Okay, I know that's a big aha moment for us this morning, right? What does it matter how you die? Why not die for Jesus? Why not be eaten by cannibals instead of by worms? Why not die a glorious God honoring death? Why are we so afraid to die for Jesus? Why do we run from from risk? Why do we run from danger? (laughs) Why do we go around Samaria? Why do we stay with our own clan and our own people? Why don't we cross 70 seconds? Why? Why are we afraid of danger? Come on. Contextualize that for yourself. Dick Brogdon said, those who die for Christ should be considered neither heroic nor foolish, but normal. Dying for Jesus is a normal part of the Christian life. The Wallaces, uh, missionaries, they tell their story in the Live Dead Journal, page 146. And they write this, when God called us to bring the good news to the Somali people, we had been saved for only three years. Three years, and we're off to Somaliland. We hadn't been to Bible college. We quit our jobs. We sold our house, all of our possessions. We bought two one-way tickets to Africa. We held back nothing. We never expected to return. Surely we would die in Somalia. Of course, the Somalis, right, uh, have a history of being uh, very militant Muslims. But what we were unprepared for, she wrote, was that our friends and our colleagues on the field would die and die very violently. When our dear friend Martin Utsi was questioned about the safety of taking his wife and young children to Somaliland, he answered, if what we are doing is not worth dying for, then it's not worth living for. Only a short term later, a short time later, his three-year-old son looked on as he watched his father, Martin Utsi, die from a gunshot wound to his head. And Mrs. Wallace, she writes, my husband and I have proclaimed and lived among the Somali people for 25 years. 
And she says, this is not long enough. It's not long enough. We are still alive. We are still alive. And the Somali people of East Africa are still unreached. The Wallaces ask a powerful question. And might I ask it this morning. Who will go and live and possibly die among the unreached peoples of this world? Who will go? She writes, don't fool yourself into thinking that you will die for Jesus overseas if you will not die to your flesh today here in America. Be on the lookout, she writes, for some small way to crucify your flesh today. How many of you woke up this morning thinking, man, how can I die today? Yeah, Ten good ways to die, you know. Yeah. How can I suffer today, right? Will you follow Jesus into his dying? How are you doing with that? What would Siri, excuse me, the spirit, say to you this morning? You're connected, battery full. You're living a life of denial. You're living a a life of of death to self. Or would the spirit say, you're not connected. You're you're way out of range. You've moved away from what it looks like to follow Jesus. You know, the Apostle Paul, he said, I die daily. I die daily so that you might live. It's a daily thing. Every day I have to face, man, I'm a creature. I'm a creature of comfort. We're we're all about comfort and American dream and, 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 you know, get the, buy the most comfortable chair. I was just talking to my son before the service. He was giving me that warm up back rub right before the service. I'll try it sometime. He said, hey, dad, have you ever been to Nebraska Furniture Mart? And I said, well, of course I have. You know, who hasn't? I mean, it's the, you know, I mean, it's the kingdom of all kingdoms, right? And it's the stuff mart. And so uh, he says, well, they've got a chair there, dad. And you can do a, a free 20 minute massage in this chair. And he said, it massages every muscle in your body, even your. Yeah. And so I I was like, I said, wow, this sounds good. Dad, you can have it for six thousand dollars. I'm thinking that would be a great investment. I'm thinking this is the answer to all of my pain, suffering and right. See, we're just wired that way. We'll we'll, we'll spend whatever it takes to to get my pillow because I can sleep so much better. And if I have the right pillow, um, We're just looking for ways to live. We're never looking for ways to diet. But Jesus says, listen, that's not how the kingdom advances in the earth. He said, this is how it works. Uh, uh, Unless a kernel of, of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it only remains one seed. But if it falls to the ground and dies, then it what? Produces many seeds. Lord, make me willing I want to be willing to be that seed that falls to the ground and dies so that others can live. And when we're talking about, are you willing to to die with Jesus? We're talking about everyday deaths, dying to everyday things, putting somebody else first, getting in the back of the line, right? Buying something for somebody that you really want for yourself, but you know somebody else really needs it more than you do. Instead of the upgrade on the vehicle, you're blessing somebody with who do, somebody who doesn't have a vehicle. There's all kinds of ways every day that we can die with Jesus. Right? And cry with Jesus. You know? Kind of can't ignore the elephant in the room. You know? 
Stop laughing, we're talking about dying. You know, at the end of the service, the last service, I said, okay, everybody stand to your feet. How many of you are excited about suffering and dying today? It was really quiet in the room. Nobody, it's like, okay, go out and have a great week suffering and dying with Jesus. What happens when we do, though, is that life begins to show up everywhere. It's the opposite of what we think. If I die, I die. No, if you die, you really begin to live and others really begin to live. So let's stop running from suffering and death. Let's look for opportunities. Let's run to it. What if we took on that attitude? I am not afraid to die. I'm not afraid to suffer. Why? Because the kingdom advances. Jesus is glorified. So what small way is the spirit of God leading you to die with Jesus today? What would it be? I don't know what it is. I'm not the spirit of God. But I trust that he's giving you some ideas right now. The third powerful question here is, will you follow Jesus into his loyalty or into undivided loyalty? Jesus called to a man and said, sir, come follow me. And the man said, Lord, let me first. Think about that. Lord, let me first. Something doesn't quite jive there. Lord, let me first go bury my father. Now, that sounds like a legitimate request. My dad's just died. I should go bury him, right? No, that's not what's going on here. What's going on here is he he has an aging father, aging parents, and he wants to go take care of them. Now, wouldn't that be God honoring? Bible says, honor your father and your mother. So that should be a good thing, right? And this man wants to go and honor his parents, right? And take care of them. So back in that day, um, your security as a human person and your future was tied up in your relationship with your father and with your family. If you leave your father and you leave your family, you leave your security, you leave your inheritance behind. Let me settle things. Let let me take care of my dad. We'll have the funeral one day. We'll have 10 days of mourning. We'll settle up his estate. Then I'll come follow you. Let me get my 401k established. Let me get my house paid off. How many of you said that before? Come on, FPU graduates, talk to me. Then I will fully give myself to the kingdom. Right? Let me take care of this debt first. Let me take care of that first. All of this. Let me first, Lord. Right? Jesus says, he said, um, Earlier on in his life, he said, I must be about my father's business. Jesus set the precedent for this. Family is very important. Mom and dad, very important. Honor your father and mother, very important. But not most important. Not most important. They may not understand your following. They may not agree with your following. They may, uh, if you are here and you are a Muslim background believer or you're a Muslim and you're considering the Jesus faith, the Christian faith, you may be weighing the cost right now because, you know, if you decide to follow Jesus, your family will disown you. They don't want to talk to you anymore. They don't want to see you ever again. That is a cost. And there are many Uh, Men and women in the world today that are are wrestling through that kind of cost. We've got a good friend here at church. His name is Mike. And uh, Mike um, was just struggling to make ends meet for his family. And he's working very hard to do so. And and, uh, things were tough. And then came this 
this God job that was like laid into his lap. It was like the dream job um, where he could really take care of his family well and have the home they've always wanted. And so he accepted this job. It was out of state. They moved. They relocated. They're at this job for a couple of months. And his supervisor says, I need you to do something for me. And I don't know exactly what it was, but he was asked to do something. And Mike said, you know what? I can't do that with a clean conscience. I just can't do that. It's like, it's unethical. I can't do that. It's dishon- I can't do that. And the man said, are you telling me, Mike, that you can't do your job? Mike said, well, I'm telling you, I can't do my job like that. And the man said, well, then you, you've got a decision to make. Because if you can't do this job, then you can't work here. And Mike said, well, I guess my time is done. And he walked away from the American dream. (laughs) He walked away from that dream job. Why? Because he said, I am going to follow Jesus with an undivided loyalty. (laughs) And it's going to cost me and I'm going to suffer. And part of my dream is dying right now. And can I tell you, he's never been able to recover that dream, right? He's always, God's met his needs, but he's never had it like that before again. And you know what he would tell you? It was worth it all. Jesus is worthy of my undivided loyalty. He's worthy. He's worthy. What let me first loyalties are dividing you? Let me first pay my bills. Let me first get out of debt. Let me first have this relationship. Lord, I know it's not exactly what you want, but just... You know, let me have this and then I'll come back and I'll follow you someday. I don't mind being disconnected out of range right now, but I will come back at some point. Right. Let me first have this this relationship. Jesus, let me tell you, Jesus is not one more thing to do. How many of you need one more thing to do? Right. Like a hole in your head. as my wife would say. He's not one more thing to do. <laughs> He's not one more idol to add to your collection. By the way, in, in, uh, in Hinduism, when you share the gospel, when you share Jesus with a Hindu, you have to be careful to let them know that um, he is the only one true God. Because if you don't, they will just add Jesus to their collection of idols. You know, the more the better. We got to make sure we got everything covered, right? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Jesus is Lord of all lords and he is king of all kings and he's worthy of our undivided loyalty. So the question we have to ask today again is, will you follow Jesus with undivided loyalty? What is the spirit of God saying to you? In the area of loyalty, do you have a divided loyalty? Right. Would he say you're disconnected, you're out of range or would would the spirit say, you know what? You you are connected, battery full. In what way do you need to adjust your loyalties to follow Jesus? Maybe it has to do with uh, your job or, or money or relationships. Or maybe it's just all the things that you want in life. You realize, you know what? I am more, I am more steadfast in pursuing those things than I am pursuing a relationship with God. The fourth question, the last question that we're going to ask today is this. Is, and I think the passage asks this, is this. Will you follow Jesus into his future? 
Will you follow Jesus into his future with a future focus, with a future focus? Another man said, Lord, let me first go back. Let me first go back and say goodbye to my family. In other words, let me go check with my family. Make sure that that everything's good with them before I come and I follow you. I want to make sure everybody is happy first. And Jesus said this. He said, no man who has put his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. When I was a kid, I grew up on a small farm and we didn't plow the ground, but we we mowed the the hay. We mowed the grass. We made hay out of it for our sheep. And we knew that if you were going to to plow or to to cut this hay in a straight line, you had to have a focal point. You had to have a fixed object in front of you. And it was oftentimes it was a fence post on the other side of the field or it was a tree maybe on the other side of the field. And this is the idea Jesus is talking about. Any man who puts his hand to the plow and is, is driving this plow with a, a team of oxen, he's got to have a fixed point. He's got to have a future focus. He's got to be looking at something ahead of him going towards that. And Jesus is asking here, Will you, will you follow me in my focus? He set his face towards Jerusalem and he's asking you to join him in setting your face to something that really matters. It's the kingdom of God. It's, it's God's rule and God's reign in this earth. Will you set your face like a flint? Can I tell you anything? Think about this. Anything in your life that is worth anything to you cost you something something you value you you worked hard to get that thing that you value and jesus saying with that same kind of focus like paul said this one thing i do i'm going to forget what's behind me i'm going to look ahead i'm going to press towards the mark how many of you drive looking in the rearview mirror right you'll get in an accident very quickly if you drive always looking in the rearview mirror and I think Jesus is saying here, don't look back. Don't look back at your past uh, uh, accomplishments. You know, sometimes I run into people and all they can talk about is the good old days. And what they did before and why they should be doing something now because of what they did before. And they put so much stock and so much pride in their past, they can't move into their future. Or they look at the baggage of their past. They get stuck where they, they used to be and all the crud they lived and all the things they did. And they're stuck back there and they can't move forward because I can't move forward because look what I've done. Right. And Jesus is saying here, you know what? No man who looks back for whatever reason is fit for the kingdom of God. We've got to be looking with a future focus. How many recovering alcoholics say, you know what, I'm coming clean, but I just need to go back for one last drink, right? How many of you know it's, it's not going to be the last drink? Or you know what, I, I, I've got this, this other kind of addiction or whatever it is. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to have another affair, but just one more affair and then, right, I want to go back just one more time. And Jesus understands this man, if he goes back to his family, they're going to talk him out of making a decision that day to follow Jesus. And you're here today and, and you're like, you know what, I need to really, I need to pray about this. I need to think about this. I need to talk to my family about this. And I want to implore you today, what is the Spirit of God saying to you right 
now. And demonstrate some right now obedience. Because I'll tell you what, when you get to KFC this afternoon or whatever other place you like, you're going to forget about this. And you're going to say, you know what? Ah, you know, just not ready. Now is the time to act, to step forward. Today is the day of salvation. Will you follow Jesus? Will you follow Jesus into his suffering, into his death, into undivided loyalty, and into his future? I want to pray with you this morning. And um, I want us to just respond to what the Spirit of God is saying to each one of us. So if you'd bow your heads with me. God, we're here this morning um, to hear from you. Most important voice to hear today is your voice. And God, I know that when I was preparing this message, it wasn't Siri talking to me. It was you talking to me, saying you're disconnected. You're out of range. And God, I repent right here before you for this church and I say God would you forgive me for running from suffering from running from death from running from from you God would you forgive me for having a divided heart would you forgive me for not having a future focus God would you forgive me for expecting you to follow me wherever I go instead of following you wherever you go God, I repent and I ask for forgiveness and I receive that forgiveness right now. And God, I pray that you would give me your grace to get up every morning and to take up my cross and to follow you wherever you lead me. In Jesus' name. If that's you this morning and and that's on your heart and that's your prayer too, God, forgive me. Forgive me for expecting you to follow me. Forgive me for not following you in suffering and dying, undivided heart, future. If that's you, just stand to your feet right where you are. We're going to pray together. God, we love you today. We bless you. God, we want to live lives in such a way that we make men and women thirsty to follow you. Thirsty to follow you. This is a fresh surrender. Maybe you're here today and you have never, um, you have never said, Lord, I'll follow you. I'm going to lay down my life and follow you the rest of my life. Maybe that's you today and that's your prayer. I want us to sing this chorus, simple chorus, simple song of surrender together. Make this your prayer this morning.